speaking. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you can see some sheep-like qualities in that, right? Specifically meek, hungering and thirsting, being a peacemaker, being pure in heart. These are qualities we might attribute to a sheep. So humanity does have a way to go. The sheep is actually a calling. There's other, other instances too. If you look in Fruits of the Spirit, for instance, uh, Galatians 5, 22, he said, we, uh, Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some of those things, such as forbearance, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, we might consider a sheep has, and we're called to be that. Sheep have a, a herd or a community mentality, depending how you look at it. We are called to be the body of Christ. We are called as a church to represent and be in unity and to be in the body of Christ, to band toward, with each other. So this is a, this is a calling as well. And then finally, and most importantly, sheep know their master's voice and they follow it. So I just found a, a, a side in the internet, this um, analogy, it's basically during World War One, some soldiers tried to steal a flock of sheep from um, a hillside near Jerusalem. And uh, the sleeping shepherd awoke to find his flock being essentially driven off by these soldiers. But he knew he could recapture them a force. So he, instead, he called out to his flock with his distinctive call. A lot of times shepherds will have a distinctive call that a sheep recognize. They recognize his voice. And all of a sudden, once he gave that call, all the sheep just marched around and turned around back to him. And the soldiers knew they couldn't do anything about it. They weren't going to carry every single individual sheep by themselves. So sheep know their master's voice and they follow it. And this is a theme that's going to come up repeatedly through these verses that we're about to read. So Jesus says the gate. We're going to read uh, John 10, 1 through 10. And just want to set some context before we get into that. So in John 9, the chapter right before this, Jesus had just healed a blind man, uh, a guy who had been born blind, actually. And he, so he was blind all of his life and he healed him. Um, and the Pharisees weren't happy about this. The Pharisees started interrogating the, blind, the previously blind man. They interrogated the blind man's, the previous blind man's parents, um, and they were not happy about it. They didn't understand how Jesus was doing these miracles. They obviously Jesus was not a big fan of the Pharisees and they weren't a big fan of him. So. So in the context here, Jesus is actually talking to Pharisees right after this happens. So let me read. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said it again. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Praise God for these words. So Jesus as the gate. He is saying in these passages that he is the only gate to pasture, to full life. One, one interesting um, fact that I found historically is that in the past, shepherds would, when they were in the wild, they would, you know, create a makeshift pen for the sheep. And instead of the entranceway, they actually would leave the entranceway open. And what they would do is they would actually, the shepherd himself would sleep in the entranceway. He made himself the actual gate. So Jesus is actually comparing himself to a, a person when he's saying he's the only gate to pasture. It's not just an inanimate object. Jesus is saying he's the only gate. He's talking to the Pharisees here. Keep that in mind. So he's calling the Pharisees thieves and robbers. The Pharisees like to tout their own works, and they were trying to get to, to the pasture essentially through their own works. And really, how often how do we do that? I mean, how many times have I thought in my own life, oh, man, I can just do these service things and God will be happy with me. I can, I can do preaching. I can do worship leading. I can do all these things. Look, God, I'm earning my way in. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying he's the only gate to pasture. Jesus provides us protection, is what he's saying. And, and I don't think we should say this is protection from everything. I mean, Jesus is pretty clear, and in what happened to his disciples, it makes it pretty clear, that life is not going to be easy. Our enemies, our, our people around us can impact us and can hurt us. I think he's providing, he's providing protection from Satan. He's providing protection from the world influencing us. And he's providing protection from our natural sinful selves. It does not imply there's going to be no pain, but he's he's implying that he will he will protect us. And then Jesus is talking about how he grants us a full life. And I really want to just dwell on this full life concept for a minute. He says they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So there's a couple implications here for us, right? There's the eternal implication that's sort of obvious. In fact, later in the, the verses, John 10, 27 through 28, Jesus says this. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. So clearly there's an eternal life implication here, which is awesome. It's great. But I think there's a current one here, too, that we often might overlook. Jesus is promising a life full of satisfaction, of joy, not happiness, necessarily, not protection and comfort the whole time, at least physical protection that he'll meet every single need. Right. Jesus is not implying that life is, will be easy. In fact, he tells us to pick up our cross and follow him. If we're, if we're not if we're supposed to pick up our cross, we should we should assume that leads towards death and persecution. But full life is just knowing who Christ is and knowing what he's done for us, how he's taken the punishment that was meant for us and given us that satisfaction of a full life. It's only possible through Christ. Nothing else in this world is going to satisfy. I know we like to chase things such as um, lots of different blessings. We chase it through relationships. We chase that hole, that Christ-shaped hole in our heart. We try and fill it with other things. We all do that with entertainment. I do that often, but nothing else satisfies like Jesus can satisfy. Life without Christ is empty. That's really the case. If you don't have Christ in your life, it's empty. It's, it's essentially without incredible purpose that Jesus gives us. 
I was reading through um, a book that was just lent to me by Stephen. Um, it's called Tortured for Christ. And in it, it's rich, written by a, a man named Richard Wormbrand, who was a was a pastor of the secret church and like right after World War II, when Romania was uh, overtaken by communist Russia, essentially, or communist Soviet Union at that point. And uh, the amount of persecution that these people faced was insane. They were tortured constantly. Um, and they, but the amounts of joy that they had was um, unreachable for us in America. It's, it's incredible. Uh, we, we, they had to rely solely on Christ for their joy and their satisfaction. And they clung to him. And just seeing the letters that they wrote back and forth to each other, oh man, I'm a little envious. Not envious of their persecution, of course, but envious of their relationship and closeness with Christ. And it's something to try and emulate as best we can. So moving on from those verses into the next section, Jesus is going to talk about how he is the good shepherd. So John 10, 11 through 16, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So once again, Jesus comparing the Pharisees um, here, they're essentially the hired hands. And Jesus saying, I'm going to protect my sheep. I'm going to lay my life down for them. They'll know my voice. So I created this chart. Uh, I'm an engineer, so I have to create charts at some point. So on the left side, hopefully it's not too complicated. On the left side, I have just the impacts, the shepherd's traits, what Jesus is doing, his actions here. And on the right side, I have the implications or the impact of Jesus' actions on us, the sheep. So first, Jesus talks about how he cares for us. In Psalm 23, David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. There's an element of rest here, right? Jesus cares for us, has us rest. And he cares for our soul, most importantly. He gives us that love and attention that we so desperately, desperately want and need. So the, the blessing here is that we get unconditional love from this. No matter how we sin against him, he loves us if we know him. Jesus also protects us. I've mentioned this a couple of times. So, you know, he says a good shepherd is not at hired hands. He defends us from the wolves. He says that the hired hand will run away. But Jesus does not run away. He protects us from our enemies, such as ourselves, such as sin, such as um, the world, that, those influences. So we get defense from our enemies in return for that action from Jesus. Jesus guides us. Now, this was interesting. In the, if you asked, you know, four years ago, Tom, what's your leadership style? I would have told you, oh, the normal type A you know, American culture type work style, uh, leadership style, which is, you know, I, I find my destination and then I drag everybody along with me, right? That's that's what leadership is, right? Um, but that's not how Jesus lived his life. 
And that's not how he, what he shows. And that's actually not what shepherds do either. In fact, Tony Pearson showed me a video about three years ago. And he just showed me a video of a shepherd interacting with a big flock and, and a couple shepherds, actually. And, you know, sometimes they're in front of the flock, leading the way, just showing the way. And sometimes they're behind the flock and just making sure that, you know, the sheep that start going astray, nope, pull them back in. Um, and it's that type of uh, leadership that we need to be emulating and that I've tried to emulate in my own life now as a life group leader, as a, as a father. Um, if I know that a lot of people will probably immediately think, oh, well, cool, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not a leader. I, I disagree. You are a leader. You're a leader of your families. Even if you don't have, a, if you're a single dude you're, or a female, you're a leader of yourselves and your friends. So, you know, we're supposed to emulate that style of leadership. Just a quick aside. So Jesus, he, he is our shepherd beside us. He walks beside us. He makes us lie down, right? So we get that opportunity to have that perspective that Jesus gives. I mean, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven constantly throughout his, just throughout his um, sermons. So we get an eternal perspective by, getting, by being guided by Jesus. We keep our minds on things of heaven. He does that. Jesus knows us. He knows us by our own individuality. He knows us uniquely. In John 10, 3, Jesus said, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So Jesus, Jesus is saying that he knows everybody by name. In fact, God says he knows us before he formed us in the womb. Right? We, he knows us. And what the awesome thing about that is we get to know him in return. We get to have that personal relationship with Christ. And that's what it's all about. And most importantly, Jesus talks about how he lays down his life. He sacrifices for us. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. He saw the wrath that was destined for us that we so deserved. And he took that wrath upon himself and he redeems us from our sin. That's that's the gospel there. So Jesus is our good shepherd. So let me go back to that sheep named Shrek. This is this is Shrek again, right? So he has 60 pounds of wool. And let's just assume just for a moment that this is us. We have all that sin that's burdened on us. God or Jesus came and he died for us and rose again so that we get made clean, that we get all the sin removed. And we turn into this happy sheep here. Look how happy he is. So overall, we are sheep in need of a shepherd, right? Being called a sheep is a critique, but it's mostly a calling for us. Jesus is saying that he is the gate into a full life, full and satisfied life. And what the interesting thing is here, he's also the provider of that life. He makes us lie down in green pastures. So he's pointing to himself, which is pretty cool. So I want to ask you a question. Do you know Jesus's voice? Do you know his voice? Let me stop sharing here for a minute and just, you can see my face. <laughs> so I wanted to share for a minute um, just about this concept of Jesus's voice. As I was preparing for uh, this sermon, I, I was praying that God, will you take away this emotionality that I get? I sometimes break down when I think of Jesus and everything he's done for us. I mean, I, I, I really, I cry pretty much at every episode of The Chosen. Like in, you can quote my wife on that one. So it's why, why do I get so emotional when I think about what Christ has done? And I was praying 
that um, the guy would take that away so that I could get through the sermon without any sort of emotionality. But then I realized I had this voice that said, um, why would I take that away? That's my voice to you. See, I'm extremely logical. I'm an engineer. I'm extremely logical. I view everything in the sense of black and white. Um, everything makes you know, everything makes sense to me. Everything is order. And I believe that God uses my emotionality that I have with respect to Christ in order to bring me back to him, in order to make me <clears throat> lie down in green pastures. So God forbid that he ever take that from me. And honestly, God forbid that he ever that we ever as a culture, as a church, normalize or lessen or reduce what Christ has done for us. He literally took all of God's wrath for us and he redeemed us from it. He took it upon himself so that we no longer have that wrath upon us. We have a new relationship with our shepherd. And if you don't, if you haven't heard Jesus' voice, I'm not an expert on it by any means, but I would encourage you to spend time in prayer. I don't think it comes when we're busy. I don't think it comes when we're doing stuff necessarily for God or doing entertainment or hanging out with family or whatever it is. When we're doing stuff, it's hard to hear his voice. I think we have to be quiet. I think we have to rest. We have to pray and read our word, read God's word. I mean, and these things need to be done in order to hear Jesus' voice. And if you don't know Jesus, this Jesus as your shepherd, if this doesn't make any sense to you, I encourage you to come talk to me. I encourage you to talk to one of the pastors. If you don't understand the depth of your sin and the height of Jesus' love for you, well, then you're missing out. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a good shepherd. I thank you, God, that you just love us so much that you came down here to sacrifice for us. I pray, God, that you will help open our eyes, open our hearts to your truth, to your righteousness, to your glory. Lord, help us be impacted by what you've done. Help us to rely on you, to rest in you, Christ. You are holy and good, and you only want what's best for us. And I praise your name, Christ. In your name, Jesus. Amen.